You are listening to the weekly Great Governance podcast hosted by Dr. Harlan. So why do we do what we do? We are on a mission to find and voice the hidden stories of excellence in local government so that others are motivated to lead and transform communities. We share information and profile local government practitioners and active citizens who are ethically leading change and innovation in communities and showcase this on our various digital media platforms. So I'm honored to speak to Nomtrebo Sera Mashlanga, who is a leader in local government. She's a former municipal manager of the Midval municipality. You had a short stint at Midval. Everybody wants to be at Midval, it seems. Why did you leave and what makes Midval a success? I was at Midval for exactly 15 months. I think I was very lucky to be working with the caliber of staff members that Midval has. Highly professional, highly ethical, and uh, with good intentions. And whenever mistakes are made, it is exactly that, genuine mistakes. As to answer the question as to why did I leave, I think wisdom is something that we all have to apply in our decision-making. It's important to understand when you are a municipal manager that you are also required to be an advisor and a leader and to provide technical assistance to the executive. And that comes with you being able to say, these are my skill set, this is what I know, and this is what I understand the law to mean. It came to a point where I felt that it was necessary for me to leave because leadership is something that is bestowed upon all of us, but we all lead differently. I felt that it was time for me to leave. And it's also important to know when to leave, especially when you are working in a space where politics interacts with administration. It's very important to understand when to leave. My personal reputation, my professional reputation, what I have worked to build as my name is more important to me than anything else. That is really the reason why I left. I then wanted to focus on my PhD. You are outside of local government. Would you want to be back yes. in? Would I you? would not necessarily want to be back in, but I still want to contribute. And there is a few things that I am engaging in working on over and above the research which I'm doing uh, at a PhD level, which I think will be able to contribute to local government immensely. I want to come back to your master's, which focused on the, the municipal minimum competencies. And what are the conclusions and recommendations that you come? These are very pricey courses. Are we getting value for money? Or is this now just another compliance exercise? So I think when the minimum competency requirements were introduced, the intentions were good. And so it is with most of our policies in South Africa. But having good intentions without a proper implementation strategy, it's very difficult. A competency, according to me, is over and above an acquired skill. And that is not how the minimum competency were pitched in local government. Because competency is just meant to refine an existing skill, meaning there must be a solid 12-year background academically or 12-year primary education that one would have undertaken, followed by at least a three-year tertiary education 
qualification of some form, practice within a sector. Once all of those three things are in place, practice plus the experience, of course, once all of those thing, three things are in place, then you come in and you say, let us test the competency. Let us put these things down as the minimum competency requirements to ensure that person A is able to fulfill role one. Person B is able to fulfill role two. And this is how we test that. The minimum competency requirements when they were tested, like everything else, it also then became about compliance. It became about compliance at any cost. People were just being sent to attend these short courses. Universities made a lot of money, but we did not then go back and evaluate, at least in the first phase, mm. to say, is it giving us the result that we thought it was going to give us? If yes, how to improve? If not, what are we doing wrong? So we did not have that. So between the year 2007 to date, Treasury has spent billions on this program, but it has not quite translated into an improved local government. You need to test these things. How the program is currently structured, it does not test your competency. I think competency, like back in the day, we used to have your trade tests mm. where you would go, you learn a particular skill, after some time, a moderator will come through and test your skill and you go through a trade test process and then you acquire your certification. That does not happen. All that happens within that program is that there is generic questions based on the unit standards, which have been the same for the past, is it 14 years now? And mm. in the past 14 years, those unit standards outcomes have not changed. They've not been revised. They've not been remodeled to speak to the prevailing conditions of local government now. And so we are still testing the same thing 14 years on, whereas the local government space itself has changed so many times. What makes matters worse is when you then get non-practitioners, testing practitioners <laughs> based on legislation alone. I don't think, and I am not a teacher by, by profession, I've not done educational psychology, but I don't think that is how education was designed to bring about an output. The municipal minimum competency has been a waste of time because it's a, are we, would you say it's an overpriced, low impact program? Overpriced, low impact program with a lot of flaws in it. Because what happens is, unlike any other qualification, you can't even test for plagiarism. Get the same people recycling and selling these minimum competency uh, unit standards all over the place and it defeats the purpose because the question the framework has not changed in 14 years so somebody's sleeping on the job we are sleeping sir your thesis your master's thesis what were some of the pertinent recommendations that in your evidence-based research points about what should be done about the problem one of the things that my research indicated was that we cannot rely on competency alone or on the certification alone to test our municipal officials' ability to adhere to legislation. It needs to be predefined processes that test that, not the competence. Explain that. To explain that is simply put, when you have qualified people doing certain work 
for a period of time. They master the system. So in them mastering the system, you constantly need to go back and say, what are the flaws in the system and how do I close the gaps in the system? It's not the competency that's going to change things. It's improved systems. It's improved controls. It's improved mm. governance. You can have the most uneducated person trained correctly over a period of time at a clerical level, being able to produce what needs to be produced because receiving money at a municipal level is the same everywhere. It's mm. debit and credit. At that higher level, at the higher achievements of management, that is where we need competence. But what type of competence? It's competence that is supported by systems that work. And the truth of the matter is that individuals or people they make inputs into systems and the systems produce what we want at the end and then what becomes critical over and above all of that is leadership the ability to motivate the, the ability to to plan effectively the ability to control how activities we done the ability to monitor how things are being done and to be able to know when we are doing it the right way when we are not doing it the right way and when do we need to change how it's being done are you saying that we have trained people in municipal minimum competencies we didn't go back to go and test in a municipality whether there has been improvement the continued demise yes in our good governance and poor audit results and opinions are just but a symptom of what is actually going wrong with the local government and if 14 years on we have all acquired the minimum competencies why do we yeah. still find ourselves here So it's a combination you say of systems and leadership. Definitely. I was in Senkun. Senkun says it's about preventative controls. You can say it's about preventative controls, but before you get to preventative controls, the controls must first be be in place. Just have your mm. basic controls in place. Because preventative is now more about you being proactive. That's a good thing. That's where we all want to get to. We need auditor general to do what an auditor is meant to do yes they are supposed to point out the flaws beautiful that's what we desire but more than anything else to create a perception that irregular expenditure means that money was stolen is incorrect does not mean mm-hmm. that and we applaud as officials and we keep on referring back to AGSA and saying but AG says the irregular expenditure has grown from zero to x amount but have we ever as academics gone back to ask the questions but why is that misinterpretation there and why does it perpetuate the first thing we should be asking is one if i build a road today and i did not provide a certificate that indicates that my municipal financial affairs are in order i'm awarded a road for 20 million at a budget of 20 million and i produce that road at 18 million The only thing that was incorrect with that particular submission was the fact that my municipal account was owing for a period of 90 days plus. That is regarded as irregular expenditure. Everything else was there. The grading was correct. CIDB grading was correct. Your ID was there. Your tax affairs were in order. Your CVs were there. The competence was there. The reference letters were there. Everything was there. Only exception here was that your municipal account as a bidder was owing for more than 90 days that 18 million regardless of the fact that the road is there is considered to be irregular expenditure and we don't want to have that discussion we don't want to ask ag but of this 30 whatever billion that you are referring to how much of it of it is due to the fact that there was municipal race which were not in order how much of this so many billions was relating to the fact that 
the tax affairs were not in order at the time of the award, but were subsequently corrected. How much of it has to do with the fact that the tender or the bid was supposed to have been advertised for 30 days, it was only advertised for 28 days, but all else is in order. That's what irregular expenditure means. And we sit here as academics and we say, oh wow, government officials don't know what they're doing. And we clap and we go on to ask these uninformed questions. And I think we need to have a serious conversation about that because MPEGs are now unable to even write off that 18 million simply because AG said it's irregular. It is irregular, we agree, but there's a process that must be undertaken to clear it because at the end of the day, the municipality received the product. There was no loss suffered. You are benefiting mm. from that road. We are driving on it every day. Are you saying that we should go back to the AG and we should have a discussion about AG about the way it audits as well. We need to relook at the auditing process because look, there are standards and minimum things that I want to see in place and I don't want excuses. Taking a more a developmental approach to auditing. Honestly, we should be. When you have got an MPEC that consists of councillors, mostly from the opposition, who do not even have a proper appreciation of some of these terms and the responsibilities with which they are given. And they must deal with a historic irregular expenditure of 15 years because nobody wanted to clear it. How are you ever going to come out of that rut? It requires you to read, understand, follow, ask the questions, follow methodology and say, is this there? Is this there? Can you confirm existence? Can you confirm the benefit? Can you confirm that this thing exists in the asset register? As a result of that, can we condone the fact that it was just a question of an advert not being done for 30 days? It was done for 29 days. That's it. Yeah, but if the standard says 30 days, it must be 30 days. You're saying... So when the municipality granted, when the municipality can prove to you that we have checked this particular process, we have mm. followed through this process, and the only error here is that there was a two days missed from the advert. It should be condoned. It should be written off. Because if you don't do that, you are going to sit with that cumulative irregular expenditure forever. We don't dispute the standards. But we don't want to lower them. No, no. But in you not doing so, you get an impression and media will print about it and your investors will read about it, which says South Africa as a whole has got a combined irregular expenditure of so many billions. What does that do to the image of the country? Where do we cut the line? Where do we draw the line? You are a lifelong learner. So what is your PhD about? I'm doing a PhD with the University of Northwest. My topic is I'm trying to develop a model for a participatory budgeting model in local government. So that I'm doing with the University of Northwest. And I'm grateful to have been accepted by the university and to have gone through this process with them. I think one of the greatest things that democracy has allowed us to do is to have a voice and to make inputs to how we want to be governed. So I think through the development of a participatory budgeting model, we will be able to use the bottom-up approach in forming the decisions of local government. So my final question, there's a cartoon in your profile pic that speaks to the problem faced by women in the workplace. Uh, for those who have not seen her uh, profile pic, it's uh, like athletes running a race and then the lane where the woman athlete is, there's a washing machine and all the chores which send out a clear message that things are not as they should be for women in the workplace. Is the struggle real? I would want to say the struggle is real, but I would also want to say to whom much is given, much is expected. Women are the strongest people that I know because I just so happen to be a mother myself. You battle with 
different competing interests on a daily basis and you still need to be resolute in your leadership you still need to be the shoulder to cry on for your children you still need to keep things in order there is so many demands on women in general but for me i think the notion of 50-50 is very much incorrect actually any woman who seeks to achieve a 50-50 standing with a man is disservicing themselves we are actually more than that because we battle with all the things that you see on my profile pic yet we are able to do what men can do and actually even more we serve in the same space we 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 sit in the same executive meetings we make decisions we implement we lead at a strategic level and we are able to come back to an operational level and we still do it with that feminine touch which is what we need because really leadership should not be about standness all the way so the struggle is real granted but women are more than capable in fact we are living proof every day that we have done it we are doing it and we're still going to do it if you look back now and you're still very young but you've made a steady progress to the top i mean you've moved from a credit clerk to a mm and now you've out of local government working in the field of uh, engineering as a chief operating officer what are some of the lessons that you've learned on your way to the top that you would like to share with our listeners i think for me what happened when i got into the engineering space i really was not planning to go into it I was headhunted for the position I think 7 days after I left Midvale officially and when I got into that space it's really a male dominated world and it's very different from what I am used to but I think what I quickly told myself and reconciled in my mind is that management principles are universal and the fact that you have acquired a certain level of knowledge in your life can cause you to operate at in just about any field within any discipline because the management principles are universal and when we say management principles are universal we simply saying if you go to india today i might not be able to speak any of their languages but planning leading organizing and controlling is the same if i go to china tomorrow i might not be able to speak any of their languages but the principles of management are the same and so if i get into any position i read and i understand what the policies are about i follow a predetermined procedure our great scholars of public administration have taught us that you will arrive at the same conclusion and so what i have learned is that education allows you to operate in any space without fear and that's the value of actually going to school getting the competence that you you require to be able to fulfill just about any role if tomorrow manier you were to be asked to leave the university and be a senior manager corporate services something you've never done before because you understand these principles of management you will still be able to thrive it might take you a bit longer it might take you a good 2 3 months going through learning curve but within a short space of time you would have gotten accustomed to it because the principle is what drives leadership for me i find myself in that space and i'm like oh okay so now i can actually interact with engineers and a few months ago i didn't see myself doing that so what i've learned is that when you sit your time through any process you are able to operate anywhere else because it's not about the one discipline it's about how your discipline is able to cut across all other disciplines and i think that is what made me fearless in accepting this position I hope I can make a difference. I hope I'm making a difference. What is next for you? You've now almost come full circle. Would you go into academia? 
I might. I just might do that. I hope I'm good enough. We get so intimidated by all of these people with their professorships and their doctorates. It gets a little bit intimidating when you're watching them and you're listening to them. But it does not diminish the experience that we come with. And I think it is about time that we enter into that academia space where we are now able to bridge and integrate the two. Say, look, at an academic level, this is what I bring in. But from experience, from what I've learned from the sector, this is what I bring in. And this is how I can make this practical for any newcomers within the sector who are being trained to go back to be unleashed into this particular sector. Yeah, I think at some point in time, it becomes important that once you've done the best that you think you can do, go back and give, give back to the community. So I think it will be an interesting one to see if one can fit in there and find a new home. No, thank you so much for your time. I'm looking forward to uh, that discussion that we're going to have on participatory budgeting. I've heard a lot about it. So really, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on participatory budgeting. All the best and all the success with everything that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Prof. To the amazing and talented Great Governance Team, audio engineer Bandila Kosa, the voice Mpumilali, and producer Al Ontong, respect and love. Keep the faith and let's work to make South Africa great right where we are. If you loved what you heard, subscribe to our Great Governance podcast that is available free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And of course, also on our HRD Governance Facebook page. And don't forget to tell a friend to tell a friend about us. Listen to learn. Listen to learn.